if the situation of the dumping will not improve, we may have no choice but pull out an X or exit Japan. For every um, Godzilla, there will be an Ultraman. You'd think the only country in the world that has had two nuclear bombs dropped on it by the United States would be the government that it was most prepared to do everything it took to protect its environment and the environment of the Pacific and so forth. The fact that they're not is some strange twist of fate and irony and basically all of the people that live around Japan on the water's edge of the Pacific are being punished by Japan in some strange way. This was the highest level nuclear catastrophe, the worst kind of thing that could happen to mankind possible. And not even to one reactor, but to three. This is severe and the rest of the world has gone silent on it. I'm grateful that China hasn't gone silent on it. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyun. Joining our discussion on Japan's release of contaminated radioactive water into the sea are Dr. Dick B. James Wren, Senior Special Advisor and Director of the Mekong Research Center at the International Relations Institute, Royal Academy of Cambodia. Mario Cavolo, CEO of M Communications Group and Senior Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, and Michael Wu, Life Honorary President, Hong Kong Chu Chow Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. So, Japan used to be a popular tourist destination for Chinese travelers, but things are now changing. Uh, we've seen Chinese tourists canceling tours to Japan since the latter started dumping nuclear contaminated water into the ocean. So let me start with um, Michael. What do you make of this reaction to Japan's controversial wastewater plan? Well, on behalf of our business sector, um, our research has shown significant cancellation of Japanese tours, a 30% cancellation, which is unprecedented in mm. our Hong Kong uh, tourist industry, and as well as with sea trips. According to the Statistics Bureau of Hong Kong, in 2023, quarter two, Hong Kong tourists contribute $5 billion to Japanese tourism industry, and, and not to mention that of China's mainland. And um, in 2010, Tourism contributes to 7.3% of the GDP, and Chinese tourists constitutes an 81% of that. And um, I think our business suffers also in Hong Kong, in the tourist sector, mm. and also our members in hotel business in Osaka, in Hokkaido, and also in Tokyo, also suffers tremendously. And I think some of our members that are invited by local Japanese governments to build new resorts and new um, tourist projects, we will suspend. And for the existing ones, we have no choice but to cut loss, sell them, and exit Japan. But, uh, I mean, it won't be a big concern uh, for Japan because, you know, it's it's been a so-called new normal to Japan over the past three years, right, during the COVID pandemic. Uh, what do you think, uh, Dickby? Well, I don't think that this is going to help the Japanese economy any. They're already, you know, they've had 30 years of no growth and, uh, you know, a lost decade and this kind of activity, which is clearly goes against uh, the majority of the Pacific Rim countries uh, are against this action with Fukushima. Uh, there is alternatives. Uh, they haven't been properly explored. Uh, everybody, including the Koreans, 
have lodged protests about this. And the fact that they're ignoring this and going for the cheapest, quickest solution and just dumping it into the into the ocean really just flies in the face of uh, having good neighbourly relations. And we can see that, that uh, immediately having an effect on local fishermen in Japan, for mm. example, who are also complaining bitterly. They're losing business in their own country. And uh, I've seen quite a few interviews and online social media with Japanese people just complaining about this bitterly as well. But yeah, as, as Michael's just said, it's going to affect tourism terribly. Uh, and that's been a really big money earner for Japan over the time. There's something like 2 million Chinese that live in Japan uh, and an enormous number of tourists. Uh, that is going to shrink. Uh, and then, as as Michael explained, the, the business related to tourism and all of the things that go with that. So, you know, Hong Kong has a really perhaps the best uh, sushi restaurants outside of uh, Japan. Mm. They're going to suffer. And, uh, and so is everybody else. So, look, uh, I think this is a terrible uh, step forward for Japan. And it really surprises me because I'm an international relations scholar. It really surprises me that uh, that the U.S. Uh, you know, if this had been somewhere else, they would have been screaming blue murder. But mm. it's Japan, and they've just gone completely quiet on it. And I think that uh, it shows a complete disregard for for public opinion globally and mm. specifically in the Pacific. Mm. We'll come to the reaction from other parts of the world later on in the show. But uh, Mario, you are now living on the Chinese mainland in northeast China, right? Yes, we're up in Shenyang. Yeah, where there are a lot of um, you know, uh, Chinese people uh, used to be, I, I should say, eager to visit Japan. But um, what's the situation there? Do, do you think of, you know, Chinese tourists canceling their tour plans a rational move? I, I want to point out that this rational thinking, this, this pragmatic thinking, which I, I feel after 24 years living here, the hallmark of China, of life in China, mm-hmm. Chinese is just so, so, and I mean it in a good way, Chinese are, are very pragmatic about things. And when you, if you ask me, uh, do you know? Do I notice that there are some people who are concerned about it? And it, by the way, it's great that you asked me the question here uh, about my area locally, where I because I I'm very close here to Japan and uh, uh, South Korea and North Korea, in fact, and there's a substantial Japanese and Korean influence and culture present here in Shenyang. What I want to say is, you know, this this rational thought of is it some Chinese here who are reticent, who are uh, not going to go to Japan, who are not going to buy Japanese food. And my answer to you is no, there's not some. I'd say all. <laughs> okay, that, that, That's where it's at. And that's the honest truth. Okay, My wife made it crystal clear that we know where we're not traveling to. And <laughs> she feels affronted. She feels aff- Japan is fausting an affront upon the world, upon the international community. If you want to tell us that you have nuclear nuclear core meltdown, catastrophe, contaminated water, from not one, but three reactors, and then you want to tell us, but we really have assured you that with the IAEA showing the lab results that we are successfully treating this water, well, then congratulations that you are successfully treating this water. Then you're now free to go ahead and do it what you want. It. It's, yeah, do, go ahead, take care of it. Use it, desalinate <laughs> it, use it to farm, to irrigate your plants and flowers all over Japan and have a good time. Just keep it where it is. It's your disaster. So rather than dumping it into the ocean, causing the rest of the world to have to worry and wonder for the next century, which is what my wife and mother-in-law are doing, <laughs> sorry, this is disrespect to the international 
community, et cetera, et cetera. I'll stop there so we can continue. It's going to be more than 60 years, isn't it, Mario? It's going to take... Or more, right, longer than that. Yeah, Mario, you were talking about uh, Chinese people being um, pragmatic and rational. In Japan, I think there's some politicians who seem not so rational. Well, these two uh, Japanese politicians said on a TV show last Sunday that the the condition for Chinese tourists, they'll make the condition for Chinese tourists to enter Japan eating at least 10 Fukushima scallops and the live stream, how they gobble it up and say it's delicious. How helpful are these politicians to Japan's tourism? I guess that what the Japanese are doing is learning from the United States because the United States is now a public relations political propaganda circus. And it's not that way on one subject. It doesn't really matter what the topic is. The topic could be the presidential election. The topic could be China. The topic could be the EU. The topic could be Ukraine. The topic could be China. The topic could be Fukushima. It doesn't really matter. It's the politicians speak only in prepared political propaganda narratives. And I suspect that these Japanese politicians are taking the cue from these U.S. politicians and getting trained and learning how to do that. And that's what they're doing. And they're just making, they're all, they're all, and it's unfortunate. And I'm, if I sound slightly disrespectful, it's because I am. Mm. I just give me a reason <laughs> to respect you and I will, but they haven't done that. It's just despicable what's going on. Right. Michael, after watching the video, what's your first reaction to those two Japanese politicians? Well, I think um, I would use the word sarcastic to describe because yeah. this is the, the very former mayor of Osaka in the video whom invited us to make investment in Osaka. Mm. We trust them and the trust has been built throughout decades. Right. And now because of, I don't know what kind of interest, out of what kind of interest, perhaps political or other interest. And um, the trust is so fragile and sadly is destroyed. And we are in business, not in entertainment business or into the, the um, stand-up comedy business. We invested money, time, expertise, and our global network of, of resources in Japan. And now that we have invested in Japan in various sectors like hotels, other tourism-related business, residential, real estates, I think with this type of uh, attitude, we have no choice but to also cut loss and we will observe for a while. And if the situation of the dumping will not improve, we may have no choice but pull out an X or exit Japan mm. and not be only the businessmen in Hong Kong and in China's mainland, but also investor globally. They may take the same view and take the same actions. That's likely. Um, Dick B. As a, a bystander, if you will, <laughs> what do you want to say to those two Japanese politicians? Well, I think if, first and foremost, they are being sarcastic, but they're playing into the, the ruling Liberal Party's nationalist right wing. They'll think this is uh, very funny and uh, it'll distract them somewhat uh, while they're actually preparing for the, the economic damage that they're going to suffer because mm. they're going to have to prepare policy to offset the losses that they're going to have, not just in reputation, not just um, upsetting people globally around the Pacific, 
but uh, you know, real economic damage that they're doing to their own country. And it's, it's one of those very strange things where uh, I think they believe that they're trying to make light of this in some way and play to their, own, their home audience. Mm. Um, but really what they're doing, of course, is they're highlighting the fact that um, they've made a very bad decision and, and there's very little way for them now to get out of that. Mm. And uh, the best they could hope for is that it'll blow over eventually. But uh, I think there's little chance of that. And um, this just shows how short-sighted they are that they're entering into this kind of... You know, sarcasm is the cheapest kind of humour. Mm. It's, it's not good and I think that's a, a sign of just how how deeply they've put themselves in the deep end of the swimming pool, so to speak. Mm. And uh, Michael talked about the uh, Japanese exports. Yes, before the trip cancellations, uh, China, Hong Kong, and Macau SARs included, announced the suspension of the import of Japanese aquatic products. So, Michael, tell us about the logic behind the, this decision. How sensible is this move? Some people say you can just ban, you know, uh, seafood from... Uh, the area got polluted by the radioactive water. Why all seafood imported from uh, Japan? Well, um, I think um, logically, from the basic logic, uh, lives matter no matter what nationality. And I think protecting one's own health is just a basic human right. I think our focus now should um, prevent illegal importation or smuggling from third countries other than Japan and products may transform into different other forms like minced, canned or mixed. I think Mario will know well the industry um, uh, structure, uh, repackage, rebrand. And I think um, it is just logical for Chinese government to take um, immediate and decisive actions, including DNA analysis, to verify the real country of origin and putting the responsible exporters to be responsible. I think uh, protecting ourselves first is the number one priority. Right. And, and Mario, is China overreacting, um, as, as described by some uh, Western media and the Japanese authorities? No, China's not overreacting at all. In fact, I wrote up a piece that's going to be published in, uh, in China Daily Print. One of the things that I said was that these actions against Japan now are not only for what Michael said, which is that we just want to protect ourselves. I and mean, when I tell you that my wife is genuinely concerned of what these people are dumping into the ocean, I'm not kidding. She's genuine. She's just like, what are they doing? What, what are they putting in the water? And, and it is a legitimate concern. But uh, what I wrote was that it, it goes beyond. I, I think that we need to also, people are taking action to also punish Japan for doing this. And why not? Uh, you know, I mean, I sound like an Italian Catholic, you know, fausting, fausting guilt and hot coals upon your head for being a bad boy. That, that, that is what it is. So it's not even just about protection. It's about this idea of, well, we need to send Japan a message that this is really unacceptable. And, you know, you punish them to do that. Now, you didn't want to spend more money to mm -hmm. take the additional steps of being able to avoid dumping the water into the ocean. It's not your garbage dump. It's our ocean. It's not your ocean. It's not a garbage dump. You want to tell us the water's treated... Again, I said it, right? Digby, we talked about this a minute back. Mm. You know, you want to tell me the water's treated and it's okay now. It doesn't contain any nuclear isotopes. Okay, let's say I believe you. Fine. I, I want to believe you and want to trust you. Hand me a glass. Well, then take the next step, which is to desalinate it and then use it yourself. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of people ahead. say so. And then the rest of us, the rest of us don't need to worry about it. Mm. This is not a minor thing here. We're not talking about a minor thing here. This was the highest level nuclear catastrophe, the worst kind of thing that could happen to mankind possible. And not even to one reactor, but to three. Yeah. This is severe. 
And the rest of the world has gone silent on it. I'm grateful that China hasn't gone silent on it. Mm. So, yeah, we need to send Japan the message. I'm angry, actually. <laughs> I really am. Well, Michael mentioned um, the fact that once the fish comes out of the water, or once the seafood comes out of the water, uh, it, it gets repackaged, rebranded, uh, minced, uh, put into other things. And there's enormous cost related to testing all of that. Mm. So, but first, you need to go back and think to yourself, that water that released into the ocean is going to enter into the life stream of every creature in the water. And they are all going to have perhaps minute amounts of radioactive material, so-called tritium, that cannot be at this time treated out of the water. And the problem, and maybe some of the listeners don't know this, but it's the groundwater around the reactors that's the real problem. And that groundwater is is being continually polluted because the, the nuclear material is still there. Uh, and so there's an endless exactly. kind of, there's an endless sort of fountain of nuclear uh, radioactive water that, that's going to have to be pumped out. And it goes into the shellfish, it goes into all the fish, and then mm. they eat other fish, you know. But, and then it's going to go into the food supply and into humans um, and all the other animals. And the cost related to being able to test all of that food is enormous mm, but, uh, but that's going to have to be done now right but but the japanese side says that uh, the water is treated right and their seafood is safe and some japanese politicians i think the, the prime minister as well they also eat the fish from the sea in front of the camera right and so some people say this issue is politicized by the Chinese side. Digby, um, what's your response? It was politicized the minute that um, they took the bad decisions. You know, they sort of said they were going into a consultative process, but the consultative process was just to convince everybody that uh, they should be able to just release the water into the ocean. That was the process. It wasn't a process of listening to what everybody said, which is, we don't want any radioactive material released into the water. You know, this is an ocean of water. We're not talking about a pond. We're talking about a complete ocean, an ocean cycle, and that this stuff has got a half-life of at least a hundred and something years and it's going to keep going on for what more than 60 years it's going to take them to deal with this so you're talking about five six seven eight generations of Mm. people and hundreds of generations of fish and that radioactive tritium doesn't just get lost somewhere Mm. it remains in the life cycles and gets passed through and continually through so it's going to build up in the, the the creatures the humans who eat this fish and the fishermen know it and many, many scientists around the world have, have, have said this. So the Japanese have had alternatives and they've refused to do it. And they're going for the cheapest, fastest alternative. And they don't give a damn. And their allies, so for example, the Europeans have just agreed to import their fish, which is, just seems ludicrous to me. You're listening to The Chat Lounge. We'll be back after the break. From the first day I was here, I just loved China. As Why well, China instead of other countries? That's the essence of China. Why the village instead of the city? When we talk about Shangsun Zhenxin, you know, rural revitalization. As China's rural revitalization continues, we talk to expats to find out their reasons for choosing to live in the country's villages for years or even decades. Everyone knew and everyone cared about See around them, people investing in that. They also share their experiences and views on the development and reconstruction of the countryside over the years. The village became much cleaner. So that was the best thing because all the families got back together. Learn more about what's going on in China's vast rural areas through my expat life in rural China, here on Chat Lounge. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chat Lounge. And we're talking about the damage caused by Japan's release of contaminated radioactive water into the sea. 
So I want to talk about what happened in July 2022. And the reason is because I want to talk about why I'm not confident in trusting. Okay. Um, there are a couple of people out there talking about the fact that the IACA independent labs have all come back with their samples that the, that the treated water is okay, mm. that it's, it's safe enough to be released. Okay. That, it's that one thing, the only thing that matters. I'd feel comfortable. I'd feel confident. Okay. But we have a history here of TEPCO, which is Japan's oh, yes. uh, electric energy facility, mm. um, just in, in huge corruption in July 2022. That's just last year. Were convictions of the four top TEPCO executives for years of corruption, for negligence, and included a fine of a billion dollars. What, apparently, what they did is so bad that the fine is not a billion dollars after they were uh, convicted okay, for negligence. Yeah, the fine say, was you not, should allow them yeah, the, to, to, to make corrections, the, right? The, the fi- yeah, the fine wasn't a billion dollars. The fine, besides them being convicted, the fine wasn't a billion dollars. The fine wasn't even, oh, you say, oh, Mario, what was it? So it was $9 billion. No, no, it wasn't. The fine was $95 billion. In the end. So you, you, you tell me how bad it is. Yeah, and then I'm it. supposed to trust. We're supposed to trust. Yeah, Mario, them? they had they had three. I think it was two. I can't remember the dates exactly. I think it was 2003. Even in the 90s, there was one in the 90s. Correct. 2003, 2005, and uh, they had um, not only not only had they had small uh, mistakes and leaks from oh. the core, but they had then <coughs> hidden the evidence and lied to the parliament uh, and to the Correct. investigators. Yeah, and, and we're supposed to trust know, these people with nuclear material in the ocean, right? Okay, so let's say maybe they did fix it, right? So, but here, but here's now, here's what they're not telling you, because all they're talking about is the clean tritium water is clean. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Trust us. But listen to this: the Alps filter filtering has already produced over four thousand large containers filled with the radioactive slurry and sludge left behind from treating the water, and the amount of water that they treated is only is minuscule compared to the amount of water they still have left to treat. Mm. And no one's talking about that, Michael. Right. But, but some people argue that's what, what, what China is doing every day, you know, no. discharging... China's, no, China's not filtering water through our Alps system because China's water is not contaminated, and it's unfair to pick on China. All nuclear, nuclear reactors all over the world, including France's, China's, U.S., U.K., all of them have cooling water that goes around the reactor to keep it cool, but none of them have contaminated water because there was a nuclear meltdown. It's a very, very fake, disingenuous argument that somebody started throwing out there into the media space to confuse and distract and, dis- and deceive. I'll, I'll be quiet now. And then uh, the Japanese Prime Minister uh, Fumio Kishide has urged China to promptly revoke its suspension of all imports of Japanese seafood. So Tokyo has also threatened to take action against Beijing at the World Trade Organization. So, um, Michael, what's your evaluation of, uh, of Japan's reaction? How, how effective could it be? Well, now um, China has been complying with all conventions, international conventions. That is one thing. And we are in the trade, and with the WTO, there must be proper clause and proper ground that you make your complaint. And um, I think turning the victim into the aggressor will make no help Mm. to improve the situation. After all, China is not the only country that complains. 
also there are also Fiji and many other countries, but their voice has just somehow been suppressed. And um, I think um, the victim is the victim, and life matters. And we have the, our basic right, according to the, the UN constitutions, we have uh, the right to protect our health and our life. That's the basic human right. Mm. Digby, your response to that? Well, besides the fact that the WTO is uh, basically non-functioning because the Americans refuse to appoint appellate judges for the mm. arbitration process, it could sit in the WTO for a very, very long time. But as Michael just said, the, uh, China is working within all of the conventions and the clauses and rules that are related to WTO. Um, and c- contamination of, uh, of products is part of those clauses, and that's the claim will be done uh, in some way under that. Uh, and, and then it's going to sit in there for a long time. I'd say good luck to the Japanese if they want to make a complaint about it because mm. they'll have to c- convince their American allies uh, to appoint appellate judges for something to happen. Uh, that that may may take decades, um, the way things are going. So, uh, you know, it sounds okay, but really that's a non that's a, just a no-starter in, in any way, shape or form. It may get a couple of headlines, but that's about it. And I think Kashida's going to have more problems convincing his, uh, uh, the Koreans, who are really up in arms about this, a huge uh, protests on the streets in Korea. Uh, and you can see that the, the, they're trying very hard to create a mini-alliance, mini um, and this is not going to help that in any way, shape or form. So I, I think it's going to cause a... a a problem for both Kishida and for Yoon in Korea, mm. uh, and uh, they'd be better off if they were uh, cooperating in finding a way, a real way, to treat the water and uh, doing some joint research and development to do that. And uh, if they need help to for storage or they need help for the slurry that's uh, uh, the byproduct of uh, filtering the water and all that sort of thing, that would have been the much better approach to take uh, rather than just just saying, look, it's uh, it's clean, and uh, the TEPCO people who we've convicted of crimes, of covering up their own crimes, uh, you can believe them now, and we're going to put it into the water and don't worry about it. So I think no starter. Digby, mm. you, you talked about the, the reactions from the Chinese, from the Koreans, and uh, earlier you mentioned um, some Europeans' reaction, you know, the, the EU lifting restrictions on, on Japanese food imports. Uh, imposed after the meltdown at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant. So what's on their mind? Why did the EU, you know, make the move just... Well, that's politicization. Th- I, you know, uh, the, the amount of actual seafood that's exported to the EU um, is is minor. It's mm. a very, very small amount. So it's no skin off their nose, so to speak. Um, but don't you think it's very strange that it's coming from the EU, who's so perfectly willing to impose restrictions for the very, very slightest... Uh, infringements or, or mistakes or whatever in other countries over uh, human rights and you know clean food and water and so forth that's definitely a human right uh, and quality controls on foods where they always maintain the Europeans have always maintained that they have the highest standards mm. and I'd just like to point out to everybody that uh, Taiwan banned American food for a long time because it had chemicals in it um, that's right uh, so, uh, you know, the EU doing this is a kind of, you know, how did, how, it just goes to show how weak the, uh, the EU governments are at this time. They're, they're basically just doing this as a, politi- a political, geopolitical, to make it look like uh, they support the Japanese uh, in their endeavors in the Pacific. And it's not really related to food or water. Mm-hmm. It's, it's related to deeper geopolitical tensions that we all know about. And look, they don't import enough seafood or uh, items like that from Japan in any way for, mm-hmm. to have a real effect. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's a, what can you call that? It's just the foam on top of the, of the water. Mario, do you think uh, people in Italy, in Germany, in, in Norway are going to consume seafood from Japan? <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's really interesting because I saw some, uh, I saw some media reports on 
they, they went out to the streets of, of these countries and asked people about the recent Fukushima nuclear wastewater release mm. in the ocean, a you know an international crisis, and none of them even knew about it. So, mm. so the, because the news won't even cover it over there. So uh, it's really interesting how all of this is happening, and and it also leads me to another really interesting point, out, which is that the United States being silent. Um, so you say, well, there's no reaction in the United States. They have a dandy relationship with Japan. Everything is fine. And, Oops, wait a minute, that's not true. I just saw a chart looking at it, and the chart shows how over the course of the past year, the exports of a certain item to the United States have plummeted. And what might that be? Japanese seafood. And to Michael, you talked about a repackaging and rebranding of the uh, seafood from Japan. And um, obviously, many consumers, especially those in China, are concerned that uh, Japanese seafood may make some detour and enter the Chinese market via Europe. So to you, how, how much of a concern is that? Have business people like you uh, thought about anything, uh, taking any measures to prevent that from happening? Well, um, from our business experiences, our members in various business sectors, such as garment, when they export to overseas country, they have to go through the country of origin test, mm. including DNA test of our fabrics. Make sure that they are not from a certain areas of China. And um, that makes us suffer a lot, which is unnecessary. But now, out of necessity to protect the people, our people's health, I think reciprocal or similar measures is of necessity mm. to do so, including DNA test which may be costly and timely. However, to protect people's health and uh, life, I think that is uh, necessary and urgent. And in fact, I think the government would have a library of DNA from previous imports from Japan on all agriculture and seafood, which can easily identify real origin, even they have been repackaged or rebranded or through third countries. It has worked in other I would say like um, U.S. and Europe, mm. and it will work the same way, reciprocally. Okay, uh, let's move on to some other ripple effects. We've talked about the uh, direct Im impact of uh, Japan's discharge of radioactive contaminated water on the food and tourism industries. So, um, Digby, what other imminent uh, ripple effects do you expect? He here in China, um, people have started to boycott other products from Japan. You know, Chinese consumers have created blacklists of over 30 <laughs> Japanese um, cosmetic brands amid safety concerns. Yeah, the spillover effects are going to be quite large, I imagine. Uh, but uh, I'd, I'd just like to make a comment about the protein. Uh, in Southeast Asia and in China, uh, fish protein is one of the highest sources of food in their diets, whereas in Europe and America that is not true. Mm. Um, so, of course, there's always going to be greater concern in this area of the world. And that is most particularly true of the Japanese, who I think have the highest fish protein percentage in their diet of any country in the world. Mm. I'm pretty pretty sure on that. Um, but look, uh, Gina Raimondo, so the US uh, trade uh, representative, was just in China. And part of the, uh, the statements that she's been making is that they, the US wants to cooperate with China on global challenges, including uh, food and commodity exports and imports, things mm. like that, uh, global uh, climate change, non-proliferation, uh, atomic, and so forth. 
And at the very same time, they're saying nothing about something that is directly affecting climate change, endangering, not a proliferation, you know, nuclear material. Nothing said. Mm. Zero. Uh, and then at the same time, you know, about increasing exports and so forth and so on. And that means? Well, that, that means that there's going to be, I think, spillover effects uh, everywhere because it, it's a, the example is there. Everybody's going to say, well, hang on a second. The Japanese are going to... I don't want to say vilified, but they're definitely going to be very more and more unpopular because of this. And they, mm. that's going to be with all of their neighbours, everybody, uh, not Europe and perhaps not Africa and perhaps not uh, the United States, but everywhere that depends on the Pacific Ocean. And, and you know, Australia, having said nothing, really surprises me being an Australian. Yeah. Um, you know, and do I want to swim in the water anymore? You know, that's a question. I think a lot of people are going to ask that. And so, yes, and uh, and like Mario said, there's going to be a feeling of, of anger or frustration, at least, that uh, that these people are not willing to, to realise what harm they're doing. Mm. And so, yes, they're going to say, well, look, I'm just not going to... Uh, I'm not going to buy a petrol-powered Toyota. I'd rather buy a, an EV from China uh, or something like that. You know, mm. th but it, it seems like small things. But you know, it, it, it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back, isn't it? I mean, eventually people just say, "Okay, look, I just don't want, I just won't want, don't want to be involved in any of that." Mm. And so, yeah, they'll stop doing that. Maybe Mikimoto pearls won't be bought anymore, or and these are going to have big flow-on effects. Mm. And I don't think Japan's really thought this through in any way. Uh, and they could have approached a much more multilateral approach. Uh, uh, for for economic and material assistance if they needed it to, to help them out with this, and they didn't do that. Mm. So, yeah, I think there's going to be continuing effects. Um, and, you know, there's a certain number of uh, democratic processes, elections and things that are going to happen around the world, and this might very well turn into one of them. And I'm wondering about something about Mario said about Scandinavia and that young lady, Greta Thunberg, who's so, uh -huh. you know, is she going to turn up and go swimming in a bikini and eat sushi in Tokyo? Well, I think the Japanese government, they may have expected, uh, have some expectation over uh, China's resistance or boycotts, if you will, in light of the, this event. But they might not have thought that the situation could get this severe. Well, it's like Michael said, they're, they're really just running, you know, they're going from one problem to another problem and not really thinking about the consequences of of what they're doing in the longer term. Mm. They think they are, but they're not really. Well, and, and Mario, some Western reports say the boycotts are, are backed up and even stirred up by the Chinese government. Have you seen any concrete evidence to support that uh, claim? Well, nothing beyond the obvious, which is to say, I just see the Chinese government um, spokespersons making their formal announcement to the world, which the country, obviously all the people of China also saying that China is formally, officially declaring that it objects to and, and disagrees with this action by Japan. And so that's it. Uh, is anybody out trying to stir it up? No, nobody's stirring it up. Everybody's just going, oh, wow, look at that announcement. This is bad. You know, no one's stirring it up. And we're up here in Shenyang, as I said, where we have a much, actually, let me say this, of all of China's 40 major urban cities, uh, you know, 10 million more people, Shenyang is the closest up here in the Northeast. We're, we're 800 kilometers northeast of Beijing. We're the closest to Japan and Korea. And we have, I'm sure, one of the very largest, maybe not quite as big as Beijing, Japanese communities and Korean communities. And so if, if there would be any act, if there would be anything going on where there'd be Chinese, like, actively out on the streets, you know, getting angry and expressing their, what do we call it, protests uh, out on the street against Japan, it would be happening anywhere. It would, I would say it would be happening here in Shenyang. There'd be some news. Mm. And there's nothing going on. There's nothing going on. There's just people worried, legitimately worried, and that's the truth. And earlier I got a little bit ahead of your topic because you, you 
ask the question about other knockoff effects of this mm. that you've all been discussing. And I had just previously mentioned the, the quiet fact that, you know, the U.S. media and nobody will talk about, and that is people are concerned. If Chinese or Americans or Koreans or Germans, people are genuinely concerned and for, for very good people. Frankly speaking, Japanese food is one of my favorite. Mm. Yeah. I still to cater at one of the Japanese restaurants with my friend, local Beijing friends, which they, they have some concern. I said, come on, let's go take a look. And before I go there, I, I make a pre-check the day before. The Wagyu beef is from Australia. Uh, Digby is mm. Australian. Yes. And they said, we guarantee nothing from Japan. <laughs> and eat safely. And, and I think um, 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 the local people are very rational and they are just uh, executing their basic human right to protect their own health. And the fact is, the business hurts so much, dropped by over 60%. That's what I can share from my real life experience. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Michael, also about uh, other knockoff effects. As a businessman, you know, um, you should know more about this um, since uh, the radioactive contaminated water uh, released by Japan will eventually spread across the globe. Almost all marine operations are believed to be affected more or less. So some are expecting the costs for such businesses as uh, offshore oil and gas exploration and shipping to go up as they, you know, people need extra radiation protection equipment, such as uh, radiation detectors, right? And coastal tourism and property markets may be heavily affected um, as people have health and food safety concerns. So how worried are you in, in the wake of these consequences? And what other longer term impacts do you expect? Well, I think um, when we say about SWOT, there may be strength, there may be weakness, there may be threats, however, there may be opportunities for right. some. You always the see, uh, you know, the silver lining. Yes, the threat is um, obvious and it's too close, too mm. fast. Um, now, on a personal level, there is no cost-effective machines that can detect the specific two elements, radioactive elements, dumped into the ocean. Mm. And I think on the industrial level, and on the logistic, global logistic, such as um, container vessels, the ship industry, I think all these um, radioactive peripherals products uh, is in necessities now. But however, the uh, R&D and the products uh, development is undergoing, I think, and it, it will take time. And for sure, uh, for the pharmaceutical area, we're we'll, we'll, we'll also seeing new demands as, um, as the damage to health will appear as soon as 10 years mm. or five. Um, we will see more cancer, um, especially bone cancer cases, well, which these two elements will accumulate in the uh, bone barrels of human mm. beings That's right. and, and other life forms. So we are expecting a tremendous increase in the pharmaceutical business in this area. Mm, sounds like uh, the United States is going to turn out to be a big beneficiary from this. I, they've got a strong pharmaceutical I, I, and um, equipment manufacturing um, sectors, right? Yes, yes. I, I did not say that, but um, <laughs> I think whoever, I just know that uh, I'm victimized and I now I have less Japanese restaurant to go to. <laughs> right. Digby, your thoughts here? Well, um, I support what Michael said, and there is definitely going to be increases. Uh, 
uh, I, I suppose I just sort of like to point a small anecdote. I've been traveling quite a lot recently uh, through mm. uh, ASEAN and uh, also in China. And the first question everybody asks me is, uh, you know, do you want where, where would you what would you like to eat? Would you like to eat Japanese? They honestly ask me that. Would you like to eat Japanese food? I was, and I just look at them. Is are they being sarcastic? I mean, <laughs> do they really mean it? You know. And of they're course, they're just the answer, joking. Yeah, they're just joking. And then they say, no, we're going to go and eat something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, there's already a tendency right. amongst uh, people to kind of just avoid the idea of Japanese restaurants and possibly fish. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the second point would I would make is that there are hundreds of millions of people who live on the ocean, uh, next to the ocean or very near the ocean, and, and they are the people that are going to suffer because they mostly uh, are not buying repackaged, they're buying fresh fish every day at the markets. That's not tested in any way, and the source is not necessarily known. Um, and this is true in Thailand and Vietnam and uh, you know Malaysia and Indonesia and even Australia. Uh, so that's going to have a pro- problems there, and they're the ones that are going to be most affected by these uh, radioactive materials in their in their food chains first. They're the ones that are going to start getting sick, and that's where it's going to be noticed first. It's not uh, urbanites. Uh, you know, in Beijing and uh, and other places around that are going to get sick first. Mm. And and I and I just like make a last comment on uh, uh, and what's China been doing about that. And Mario's right. The the government policy uh, they've made clear statements in the press, open statements about their policies. There is there is no sort of overt punishment, in fact, of 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 Japan. But there is you know the not listening to your neighbours and mm. not consulting with your neighbours and not working with your neighbours. Uh, and disregarding, uh, you know, 50 Pacific Islands, uh, their thoughts and uh, their concerns and everything else is not doing Japan any favors. And I think the Chinese media has pointed this out. Mm. Uh, and they've reacted in the best way they can, which is until in such time that there's a regime to be able to test all the food, uh, to be able to check all the packaging and uh, where this food comes from and so forth, as Michael has pointed out. You just have to go, you're going to have to have some kind of general control over over fish that's in the path of this water mm. and uh, and eventually as as you've just said it's going to be all over the pacific and probably all over the world so how that's going to happen and you know are the japanese going to pay for all of that mm. yeah let's uh, talk a little bit more about the the outlook what's going to come up next um Dickby, do you do you think there could be any chances of japan making a u-turn in this regard Look, it's going to last a very long time. We all know that it's going to last more, as everybody's pointed out to me, it's more than 60 years, Digby. And there is continuing groundwater coming up. So this problem is actually just sort of getting worse uh, at this point in time. And it's going to take decades before they really get on top of it, even if they just continue what they're doing. Mm. So uh, I think that a concerted effort to find a, uh, a research and development path uh, and they need a second. They also need a storage uh, solution. That has got to be done in a in a multilateral way uh, and with all of its neighbours. And and the sooner Japan turns around and looks at it in this way, mm. and uh, then I think th- there may be some kind of uh, solution available in a few years. And and uh, they might just be able to you know store more of this. But uh, there has been no sign that they're willing to do that. I have not seen any statements from the Japanese government. Uh, to the effect that they're willing to do that. So, look, at this point in time, uh, they, they're perhaps just dreaming that everybody will forget about this. Mm. Uh, and I think that is a dream because um, nobody's going to forget about the idea that every time they look at a fish, they might be getting sick. Right. Well, some netizens suggested to Japan that pouring diluted radioactive water into the crater of Mount Fuji can not only help <laughs> cool down the temperature and reduce the chance of eruption, but also avoid polluting the sea at a low cost. So how does it sound to you? 
degree. I don't know. I, I'm not sure I want to see another Godzilla movie, but um, because <laughs> <laughs> everybody knows that Godzilla is the nuclear monster, right? Mm. I mean, that's what Godzilla represents. It's, it's not really just a Tyrannosaurus Rex running around crazy. Mm. It's a product of the testing of nuclear weapons in the Pacific. That shadow, you know, and you'd think the country, the only country in the world that has had two nuclear bombs dropped on it by the United States would be the most, the government that it was most prepared to do everything it took to protect its environment and the environment of the Pacific and so forth. And the fact that they're not is some strange twist of fate and irony. Uh, and basically all of the people that live around Japan on the water's edge of the Pacific are being are being punished by Japan in some strange way. And uh, mm. I don't think it's a realistic proposition. But uh, they do need to find, a, uh, as I said before, they do need to find a better storage solution. There's increasing amounts of water mm. um, and they better hurry up and do it because just dumping into the ocean is obviously not going to work. Mm. Mario? The same answer. I'm sitting here thinking about, writing about, the fact that, again, even after just a tiny amount of the water has been treated, there's over 4,000 containers filled with highly radioactive slurry yes. sludge that was left behind after the ALPS treatment, that those containers themselves are deteriorating and need to be replaced because government regulators blame TEPCO for underestimating the radiation being emitted from uh, you know into those containers, which then rot the containers. Plus, on top of that, Japan has bagged up 14 million tons of cesium-contaminated topsoil and debris so far and again no one's understanding where all of this is going to go so you get rid of the contamination from one thing and you end up with another pile of contaminated material and it's a never-ending circle and it's a never-ending cycle throwing it off into the ocean is not a, <laughs> is not and make making all of us liable and worry and wonder for the next century tepco is not a profitable company by the way i heard they're owned by blackrock now <laughs> that blackrock is a major shareholder, right? That shouldn't surprise any of us. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, look, it's not a profitable company. They, they have problems and uh, the Japanese government has got to be worried about the spillover effects of TEPCO going into trouble, uh, what that effect that would have on their economy and, and, and already there, you know, there's, there's no positive science from the Japanese economy. So that is a bad thing and, of course, Michael's made the point that uh, that's a major spillover effect for all sorts of other sectors of the economy, not just for Japan, but for all of its neighbours and the, the, even for the world economy. This is the world's fourth largest economy. This could turn out to be a major disaster in economic terms as well. Mm. Like uh, Dick, we just mentioned, there is no sign that Japanese authorities would stop this whole process or make a, a U-turn here. Then how can the rest of the world hold it accountable, hold Japan accountable if it won't stop releasing radioactive water into the, the ocean? I can answer that question. How sure. can the international community stop Japan, just stop them. And the answer is, do what they would do if it was China. Because, it, right? Right? Because if it was China, you could be sure that the United States and Europe would be now engaging in a series of real attacks and real sanctions and bans and trade restrictions and everything on China. They would do all kinds of incredibly aggressive sanctions and bans and everything else. And, but they're not doing that in Japan. But that's what they do need to do. Japan needs to be crushed to get them to stop doing this. In what way? Economic? Again, economic. It's going to be economic is the way to do it. Look how the United States, even though it was unfair, look how the United States did sanctions to try and stop Huawei and the CHIPS Act to try and stop the semiconductor industry. I mean, all of those things stop uh, and do have a genuine effect. Huawei got hurt substantially. Now, uh, they're coming back, 
you know, they've survived it and they're coming back from it. But that's beside the point. But, um, you know, we can even go all the way back to the Cultural Revolution after mm-hmm. 1949 when, when Mao declared victory. And then what, the United States uh, uh, engaged a massive trade embargo on China. I mean, these are the things that need to have to happen that need to happen to get Japan to say, oh, wait a minute, I guess we better stop doing it. But people will accuse you of using economic coercion. Good. Thank you very much. I'm happy to use economic... I already am using economic coercion. I got a Chinese wife who won't be buying any Japanese seafood. That's economic coercion. So it is... You're absolutely right, Tuyin. It is economic coercion. It's the only thing that really can be done. Actually, I'm going to make a bet for the end of the show here, which is to say, I'll bet China, Japan is going to change their plan. Don't ask me who, how, what, when, but within a year or two, I'll bet this plan changes, and the reason is going to be because Japan is going to realize, oh, my God, if we don't change this plan, we're finished. We're finished economically. I'll bet you this is what... I'll make the bet now. Let's have another show a year from now. <laughs> Let's see where it's at. All right, we'll, we'll end this uh, very soon. But uh, before that, uh, Michael, your answer to the yes. question. Yes, I think um, uh, to echo with Digby and Mario, I think for every um, Godzilla, there will be an Ultraman. Okay. So we are very, very good, Michael. <laughs> Who will be I the outer man? Um, please excuse me for being superficial and a bit naive. And um, I think I think when you push the outer man to the limit, some wonderful and unexpected strategies will come out. You never know what outer man has. Okay, Aquaboy was my Economical favorite. economical aspects is only one. Of, uh, is just included but not limited to. And I think um, putting, protecting Ultraman's life and their successors and their grandchildren is so important. Mm. Otherwise, the Ultraman episode will end, which no one will enjoy, right? <laughs> who, who could be the Ultraman you're talking about there? The Ultraman is the world, the life, because life matters. No matter what country are you from, no matter how large or small your country is, no matter where you are, I think that's the basic human right, to protect their own health and their children and grandchildren's health. I think just just common sense and just a, a, a basic human right. And in violation of that, I think it's not ethical and one has to be held responsible for that mm. in one way or the other. Right. Uh, and I have a last point. Yeah, yes. I, I, I last point is um, when people started putting factory dirt into the rivers, uh, you know, civil society and government uh, started to realize that that was just not possible. And so the same is true for the oceans. We all know that. Uh, so a campaign that runs through civil society it needs to be needs to be more properly organized and funded for this. Uh, people like that girl that I was just talking about, Greta Thunberg, has been you know very quiet about this. Uh, but there are a large amount of organizations around the world, governmental, non-governmental, multilateral organizations that have uh, that that are always talking about nuclear, uh, talking about quality of water and air and so forth. Part of the sustainable development goals. All of those things. And every government that has a coastline has got to be interested in this. And they need to be working together in multilateral forum to start something specifically. Uh, going straight to economic punishment for Japan is, you know, it, it has spillover effects for the people that put out the sanctions. We all know that argument about, you know, America shooting itself in the foot by uh, sanctioning everybody, you know, sanctioning themselves to death. I think that is not the best solution. The, the best solution is a civil society first, or organizations, multilateral and other. And this is the best way to go forward with practical 
measures where you know yes you can put into place a testing and so forth and and be more very selective about banning sanctioning etc that has to be extremely selective it cannot be done in a blanket way in a general way um and 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 look ultimately we have to and as michael just said we all have to live together in this with the oceans and everything else you know um, trying to make more of an enemy of japan is not a good idea i mean uh, it has to be better than that and i think also that mario's right that if that's done properly within a year or two i think the japanese will reconsider and uh, but it needs a scientific solution and a storage solution and there needs to be real work towards doing that and financing that but the first step has to be made by Japan and they need to be convinced of that and that's got to be done through diplomacy. Mm, great insights, gentlemen. And uh, with that, we wrap up today's chat. Many thanks to Dr. Dick B. James Wren, Senior Special Advisor and Director of the Mekong Research Center at the International Relations Institute, Royal Academy of Cambodia. Michael Wu, Life Honorary President, Hong Kong Chu Chow Chamber of Commerce. And Mario Cavallo, CEO of M Communications Group and Senior Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, for sharing your insights. The show is available on all major podcast platforms. If you have anything to say about the topic or the show, please message or email us at radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tuyun saying thank you for being with us. We'll have more chat next week. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Once upon a time, in a land not so very far away, Stories were told of the brave and the bold. The whole court fell silent to hear what the great warrior Mulan might ask for. Of mighty deities and powerful immortals. Immediately, the shimmering skin started to grow before his eyes. Of fated love and love sanctified. In dawn's golden light, Nulang said, Marry me. Of great journeys across fantastical landscapes. So the cat and the mouse climbed on the dog's back, and the dog swam across the broad river. In the company of friends and enemies and unimagined beasts. Yeah, <laughs> good to see you. Of ordinary folk with tantalizing stories to tell. Heroes and heroines all. It's incredible. How did you do that? Tales of sad sacrifice and victories snatched from the jaws of defeat. Stories of the wise, the accomplished and the quick of mind. 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3 wherever you discover your favorite podcasts.